I left pastoral ministry at the very beginning of the pandemic. The, the, the rumblings about COVID started in late 2019, early 2020. The shutdowns happened, began to happen around the middle of March. And I had already, by that point, announced my resignation to my then congregation that I would be leaving them and taking a position at the national setting of my denomination. But that would not prevent me from having to figure out what to do for the last four or five Sundays that I would be leading worship for my congregation, given that we would not be able to meet in person. And, and th this came with some, some, some sadness because there, there wouldn't be a, an in-person goodbye. There wouldn't be a formal farewell celebration, although, as with many other things, they, they did their best with what we had to work with at the time. There was a little car parade by my house, and, and they, they sent us dinner a couple of nights, and, and you know, we, we were all just making it up as best we could. And, of course, that included worship. And at that point, everything was so new and so sudden that the best that I could offer was taking my cell phone down to my basement studio, propping it up, and broadcasting a very abbreviated version of worship over Facebook Live. And I preached, and I did some prayers, and I played some hymns on my guitar, and I had my kids pop into frame for a children's sermon, and and it was it was what I could do in that month or so before I would move on. Now, of course, over the next year, two years or so, I had many colleagues who, of course, had to live with this reality for their own churches. Oh, a lot longer. And so may, maybe it started with broadcasting over cell phones and, or, or personal digital cameras or the like. But then things, the, the longer they had to go about this, the, the more creative that they, they were able to think. And, and they were able to think a little bit longer term. And so they, their setups became a little more creative and elaborate. And I myself, having been freed of my own Sunday responsibilities, I was able to hop around. I, I was able to worship at maybe a half dozen or so places every Sunday. And, and that, that newfound freedom to do so for me, I, I relished it. I still do, but I relished it extra hard in, in those early times. 
And so now, now that many churches are getting back together in person with varying degrees of, of safety protocols still in place, online worship has become a bit of a norm. It has been retained. And as, as people have discovered that there, there are populations of people who are now able to participate in worship online who were excluded from worship when it was only in person. However, given that in-person options are now available again, here come the usual old, tired arguments that in-person worship is maybe the preferred way to participate and or even the only right and true way to worship. Never mind everything that had been experienced everything that had been created, and never mind those additional populations of individuals who were excluded before and now are finally able to feel included. This is, this, this is an easy topic for me to get up on a soapbox about and i i was i was i felt invited back up onto the soapbox this past week when i saw this argument kicked up once again on social media platforms that i am on and it even inspired a blog post that will be published this coming week, so I guess you can look forward to that as well. But here I am recording a podcast episode on a similar subject. Let me, let me say something. I am tired of the worship wars. I, I've been tired of the worship wars. I, I've been tired of the worship wars since my seminary days, since before my seminary days. I, I, my first inkling that this was a thing was during my college days. And for me, it's just become more and more of a sticking point. I, I, I find meaning in a variety of worship forms and it's really easy to get me going when I hear particularly mainline colleagues insist that their preferred way with organ, with hymns, with a certain kind of liturgy is vastly superior to those other forms of worship. This was something that I did not enjoy when I was dealing with when I was a pastor. It's something that I still don't enjoy. And so now you've caught me when I'm in a mood 
and I'm deciding to unleash some of this upon you for this week's episode. Sorry, not sorry. Welcome to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. I'm going to leave the online versus in-person argument for this blog post that will be going up this coming week. So I'm not going to focus on that particular piece of the worship wars. Instead, I'd like to run down a handful or more of reasons why I think this ongoing debate, and particularly the idea that one form is the one right, true, wonderful, intellectually and artistically superior form, is annoying, ridiculous, tired, and a lot of other adjectives, only some of which would be appropriate to share in this medium. I I want to keep my clean rating for this podcast. But nevertheless, I I want to share some, some reasons why, reasons I've come up with over the years, why I think that those who in particular believe that liturgical, formally traditional liturgical worship is vastly superior, should just maybe chill out a little bit, reel it back in, realize that actually, you know, you have your own blind spots as much as anybody else does with their own preferred forms. And so... I'm just going to run through these. That's what this week's episode is going to be. I'm just going to run through the these this handful or, or more of reasons why I think the worship wars are played out and not as one-sided as some wish them or believe them to be. So, the first one. One of the top ones that I always hear is that non-traditional forms of worship and, well, okay, I, I was about to get in the weeds with something. I'm going to save that for a little bit later. The, the, one of the top criticisms that, that the, the, the keepers of traditional worship argue is that other forms, non-traditional forms overly rely on emotion rather rather than appealing to the intellect rather than 
than appealing to the mind. Non-traditional forms rely too much on appealing to the heart. This is one of the oldest and one, to me, of the most tiresome. That contemporary forms of worship, modern forms of worship, only appeal to emotion or e appeal to emotion too much. Now, th this would this is typically a musical sort of argument that the words and structure of praise music is not as intellectually deep as hymns. But it inevitably, it spills over into other elements as well. Other liturgical elements that each worship form includes. Now, the main thing, one of the things I want to point out here is that this appeals too much to emotion argument conveniently ignores how much traditional worship also appeals to emotion. All of those carefully and poetically crafted prayers, those poetically crafted songs, including hymns, how, how often have you or someone you know described the words of a hymn as beautiful? So what you're saying is, there is something of beauty that you find in hymns. It's not just it's not just your intellect that that you find appealing. It's also beauty appeals to something other than the intellect. Think of how sanctuaries and altars are decorated according to the church calendar or, or otherwise. Think about artistic images that are used, such as stained glass or special images on bulletin covers, or the pyramids that are draped on the altar, the communion table, the pulpit, wherever else. These are elements that engage the senses. These are elements that engage emotion. Every form of worship appeals to emotion. They just take different approaches to doing so. All right, next. This, this appeal to traditional worship as the far superior form is elitist. It's a short jump from the emotion argument to this one where traditional worship gets set up as being for the intellectually engaged, while contemporary worship or other non-traditional forms of worship is for the consumeristic unwashed masses. More than once, I've heard criticism of non-traditional forms of worship as, well, people can leave their brains at the door for that one. But again, this ignores elements that are common to all forms of worship, even if they look different from one to another. And even besides that, when, when you take this, this tact for arguing, you, you, you're flat out demeaning people who don't share your own tastes. That's, 
That's elitism. That's a form of elitism. So, so there's the second one. The third one, appealing overly to non-traditional forms or, or to traditional forms, excuse me, downplays the fact that a single form of worship doesn't engage everyone in the same way. Can we just be honest? Not everyone likes the organ. Can we just be honest? And no amount of exposure to the organ, to organ music, is going to change their minds. You, you, you may hear hymns as these, again, beautifully crafted verses played on an instrument that has been the church standard for centuries, never mind that when it was originally introduced, people thought it was going to ruin worship too. But others will always hear these same songs as dirges played on that thing that sits in the corner of grandma's living room. Meanwhile, those same people may see another church is using the same instruments and style that they listen to on the radio or on Spotify or wherever else every other day of the week. That speaks to them. Why can't we just give people permission without looking our down our noses at them, elitism, to just let them embrace that and let them find meaning in that? The fourth one. The, the, again, the, the, these all tie together in various ways. Saying that, saying that, that traditional worship is superior, sometimes people say that, oh, those other forms of worship, they're performance-based. Well, let me tell you something about performance in worship. Every so often, I, I go to, I attend worship at what would be called tall steeple churches. I'm actually a member of one now, so so I I know how this this goes. So you think about Easter in a so-called tall steeple church. This is for those who are not familiar with the lingo. This is this is one of the terms that is used for larger, more resourced congregations. So think about Easter at a tall steeple church. Usually, they will find a, a, a handful of brass players to accompany those hymns. And, and, you know, there's the Easter lilies or other flowers that adorn the front, again, appealing to emotion, aesthetically pleasing, beautiful, and so on, not just intellectual. But, but I've been in services where, where there is this added component, this brass component, and once the hymn is over, people break, break into spontaneous applause because they have been so moved by the performance. So, how often are you thinking objectively and only intellectually when this kind of thing happens, if you participate in this kind of thing. So performance transcends specific styles. So I'm just getting started. I've got a few more. I just, the, the, it's not, the, I, I heard this metaphor a, a while ago, and it has always stuck with me. There, there is this idea that you shoot an arrow 
at a tree. You shoot an arrow at the tree, the arrow sticks into the tree, and then you walk up to the tree and you paint a bullseye around it. And to me, a lot of these arguments in favor of traditional worship that also put down other forms of worship, to me, a lot of them feel like shooting an arrow at a tree and then going up and painting the bullseye around it. Well, uh, we appeal less to emotion. We are not performance-based. Yes, you are. Yes, your style is. It just looks a little different. It appeals to emotion and is performance in a different way. I've got more to say about this. And I hope that I'm at least beginning to help people understand that we are on equal footing when it comes to these preferences. Before I run down the rest of these, I just need to say that I have not been totally immune to believing certain forms of worship are superior to others. I do have a, a wide appreciation for different kinds of worship, but I have my own preferences as much as anyone else. The, the trick is, and it's, it's a problem for me as much as, as it is for others, that I'm, I'm painting the bullseye as much as anybody else does. I, I paint the bullseye with these things as much as others do. So, so I'm, I'm, not coming, I'm not trying to come at this from a purely objective place because some of my favorite experiences in the church have involved non what you would call non-traditional worship. And so I, I do feel defensive. You know, you can hear the defensiveness in my voice, probably, as I have shared these things. So so th this is this is about emotion for me as much as it is for anyone else. And so don't 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 think that I am trying to build myself up here because I'm I'm in the weeds with this as much as other people are. So having said that, here's more ranting. Okay. So another reason. Another reason why maybe we should chill out about traditional being better than other forms is that Traditional worship lovers tend to set certain liturgical elements as absolute criteria for what is worship and what isn't. Here's, here's my example, and others from other traditions will have other examples, but my, my background is, is rooted in the Reformed 
tradition, the Reformed Christian tradition. And there are four basic components to worship in the Reformed tradition. There's gathering, hearing the word, responding to the word, and sending forth. It's, it's very logical. It's a very well-reasoned pattern that many churches use with, with some tweaks here and there. But so, you know, some churches put preaching at the forefront. Others especially lift up the sacraments. And the, there's a worry by, by some that non-traditional forms of worship put too much emphasis on music. That music is too central instead of the word, instead of the sacraments, instead of whatever it is that, that they think is more important. But there are different ways to connect to God. There are different ways to become a, aware of God's presence. And some is preaching the word. Some is through the sacraments. And some, for some, it's music. So saying that certain elements in worship are more crucial, more important, you might be denying somebody else an encounter with God. Saying, no, you can't connect to God that way. You have to do it this way. That makes no sense. Next. And, yeah. Anyway, next. To argue for your favorite form of worship over and against others, painting that bullseye, it's to also be willfully ignorant of your own preferred form's shortcomings. Believe it or not, your favorite form has downsides as well. And I've said this already, not everyone's into hymns. Not everyone is into sermons that sound like theology lectures. On the other hand, not everyone is into 20 to 30 minute sets of praise songs. And not everyone is into sermons that are like half hour or more TED Talk expositions. And the people who don't like your style will tell you why, and that's okay. Because maybe there's something worth learning from the critique if it's offered constructively. And if you can handle the thought, going back to the last point, that more than one form can help people connect to God. But doing so involves admitting that your own preferred form has shortcomings as well. The other side of that is ignoring the form the strengths of the form you don't like. So basically the opposite of everything that I just said. Not only could there be ways your favorite style could improve, there are also ways the style you don't like is actually doing okay for itself. But again, it takes the humility to realize that people find God in more than one thing. So, one last point that I want to raise. To argue that traditional worship is, or here, let's, or 
to argue that in-person worship, let's bring that in at this point, is the only way that God shows up is to compartmentalize worship in general. We are in a cultural moment in American Christianity where distinct services don't matter as much as they used to. And where distinct styles and distinct ways of connecting with God, people don't care as much about distinct ways or, or one way only. People love candles and their incense. And other people may want their guitars and drums. But we're past the point, I think, where starting a separate contemporary service as a complement to the traditional, that worked in the 90s, that worked in the 2000s, but it's no longer a groundbreaking thing the way it used to be. So a lot of worship communities, and this was something that I loved about the church that, that I attend now during the pandemic, they did have, they do have two separate services, but for a year or more, they combined those styles. And there was, and they did it in such a wonderfully well done way. It was such a, a wonderful blend of the two. And it was taking the best of what each has to offer, or maybe foregoing one for for in favor of the other for a while and and vice versa or or doing something else entirely something more contemplative allowing for more silence and reflection but that old dichotomy traditional versus worship it's just it's not even as much of a thing anymore people are finding meaning in a variety of ways and sometimes in more than one way at once. But those who insist on this old dichotomy, that it's not, it, it's not the thing to argue about anymore because it's a different world and, and there, people are seeking God's presence in different ways now. And they don't care nearly as much about this dichotomy as we insiders do. So here's the question. Can we celebrate? Can we, can we get to a point where we can just celebrate that there's more than one way to worship? Can we just celebrate that instead of continuing to paint bullseyes on trees? Can we let go of our own preferences enough to wish others well on their own journey rather than insist, no, they have to conform to the way we like it? That's the only way. How, how exclusionary is that? Can, can you see how exclusionary that is? Can you see how problematic that line of thinking is? I, I, I hope so. Because... We're at a point where we're in danger of excluding a whole lot of people by insisting that our way is best, what you like is wrong, and you'd better fall in line. 
that sounds a lot like the opposite of what Jesus did during his ministry. He argued with the people who insisted people fall in line. He expanded boundaries. He expanded people's experiences. He expanded people's concepts of how we can connect with God. And I hope that we have finally reached a point where we can be more open to these other ways of connecting. And that we can say, if that's what best, what's best for you, then go, God go with you on your journey. Can we reach a point where we can be humble enough to do that? Thank you for listening to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including all my books, at jeffreyanelson.com. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Jeffrey A. Nelson on Facebook, and I'm at Bold Roast Rev on both Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week.